This episode of Everything Hurts is brought to you by Prolific, who wants to enable world-changing research by making trustworthy data more accessible and super quick to collect. Use Prolific to ethically recruit participants for your research from their pool of over 100,000 users. Go to prolific.co forward slash everything hurts to get $50 worth of credit for just $1. That's prolific.co forward slash everything hurts. We are we are live, James. We are doing a we're doing a live show. Yes, for, I know. How good's that? This is a part of the Open Publishing Fest. We are doing a, a live episode uh, on open publishing. But um, I guess I better introduce myself. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and you are James Heathers from Northeastern University. James, how are you going? Oh, it's so nice that you know who I am. You just say all the stuff. <laughs> You keep doing that. I'll, I'll just, I'll just sit here. You, you, you open publish. I'll, um, sit, I'll just sit, sit here and look clever. I don't look there, clever. Sit there looking, sit there looking like a statue. Now, James, we're going to do something, uh, um, very, very exciting as part of this episode. Um, obviously, a lot of people are, uh, are thinking about, uh, a lot, a lot of scientists are thinking about, um, op- open publishing and open access. And, uh, I think that's often we can get quite a biased view of, um, what people think are thinking about these things and not necessarily what the public think. So for this episode, we are going to do, um, a, are we going to do data collection on the fly? Yes. How about that? Data collection on the, data collection on the fly. We are working with our, with our sponsors, with our, with our supporters prolific. And, um, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be asking and putting out a questionnaire asking the public. And this, we're actually using a, a representative sample. Of the US, which, which is one of the features of Prolific. And, uh, we've got a deal as well with anyone who's listening. Um, if you use the link prolific.co forward slash everything hurts for $1, you can get $50 worth of, um, of credit with Prolific. And we're doing, we're using $50 and we're going to be running a quick survey finding, finding out about these attitudes, um, which is, um, which is super exciting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set things up and start the experiment and hopefully uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing by the end of the episode, we're going we're to be getting about 100 participants in uh, in the space. I have wanted to do this for ages. It, it, you just, you're going to bring me out of my reverie and make me talk. This was my <laughs> idea, goddammit. This, it is, is, this your- is our brave new digital future. If we have new tools and the tools are cool, which they invariably are, why wouldn't we combine both of these at the same time? We can record live on the internet. That functionality has been in everything forever. And we can take data live. And, man, uh, it was the first idea that I had with this, which we will have to do at some point, mm. is to see who changes their mind over the course of an episode. Who changes their mind? Yeah. Pre-poll, post-poll. Oh, pre-poll, post-poll. Enabling what? us to have a debate. We could, uh, we could, we could do that for a future one, but for, for this one, we've already got about 20 people who have started the questionnaire. It's, it's, it's super quick. 20 people. I haven't even finished talking about why it was a good idea. Yeah, I know. And it's already, it's already happening. Um, so yeah, this, this is exciting and we'll definitely have to, we'll have to revisit the results, which, which are probably going to come in within the next 10 minutes, uh, which is, uh, which is pretty crazy. Genius. Um, now. James, o- open publishing fest. Um, I had a look through the program, so did and I. there was, 
some super interesting stuff. Building a low-cost book scanner. This was super baller. Mm. It's basically a book scanner um, using a smartphone in order to, to, to scan book pages. I love that. Yeah, I've, been, I've, I've had an app that's done that for ages. Um, a scanner that's also a digitizer that doesn't get thrown off when it sees things like Phi and Delta. Um there's a lot of functionality you can add if it works. I mean, that's always the way, isn't it? If it works, dope. if it works, very, very, very cool. Um, oh man, there was so those. I have been. I mean, technically, I'm on leave. Um, I haven't had. Is that right? Yeah, I, ha- I haven't had time to. Oh, it just this is. It's all so overwhelming. You're all so serious. Um, <laughs> I haven't had time to really crush into a whole bunch of it uh did you see the thing of the uh, a preprint repository for africa yeah um that's that that's super interesting so has, is this something which is going to launch or which has been launched um i i like the name afrix afrix archive um, it fits very well i i didn't it was look i uh i don't think there's any immediate these these, these are talks i don't think they've like everything's been covered yet um so I don't think there's any resources. I mean, I clicked on it straight away and it took me to something else. Um, it's it, it's one of those really good things that immediately raises questions. And like, I immediately have so many questions. Um, let's not get you don't want to get bogged down in this, do you? What are we going to do, Daniel? Let's cover let's cover it a bit. Re- regional or or. Topic specific preprint servers. What do you think? Because uh, I, I actually go back and forth on this. Uh, um, as opposed to a general one. Yeah, because you have your general OSF. You can put you know there's a huge range of yeah. of topics and, uh, uh, and and places on there. But you've also got your very specific ones for 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 different disciplines and for different regions. There's one for Indonesia that I know of. Uh, uh, um, yeah. There's Africa and uh, different different places. Um. In general, uh, I know there's been. I, I have a vague memory of some of the trouble that people have had getting these set up. Um, one of my immediate cop out thoughts is, if it works and it immediately starts accruing manuscripts, it's a good idea. I don't. Mm. I don't know if that's a cop out or not, but um, certainly the uh, the stork people have uh, had a lot of success yeah. with um, sports science specific stuff. Um, considering the plague, um, med archive is just steaming through it right now. Um, oh yeah, I look. Far there's, out, man. there's obviously there's obviously a a problem with broader representation for manuscripts coming from the African continent in a wide variety of individual contexts. Um, yeah. It feels it feels like a good idea. It feels like something that can act as its own promotional vehicle or something that's going to have an identity. It's, it's something it's something that should be important. Um, I mean, there are holes in everyone's knowledge when it comes to specific opportunities, specific areas within open science. All over the world, there are people missing something um the moment you start aggregating within any 
field specific, geographic specific, um, topic specific kind of area. I think you you have a lot of you have a lot of possibilities just with the fact that that's being aggregated in the first place. I guess I like the idea that something like that gets its own component identity. Yeah, and it looks like uh, something like Sci Archive seems to be really killing it because a lot of people are keeping an eye on that. You see that there's the Twitter bot that's autom- that's automatically tweeting new papers on Sci Archive, mm. and people who are interested can can follow that. I think it works really well. Um, and th- this does lead into another topic, which was uh, discussed at a, a Open Publishing Fest, which is this idea of whether there's a discover discoverability crisis. We've covered this before on the show. Yes. Um, and that yes. there's a lot, especially yes. in my, Corona times. My opinion on this is widely known. <laughs> I'm not saying there's, I'm there's, saying yes. The the, the the discussion isn't working properly. Saying yes, that's very definitely something that's happening. Yeah. Uh, there, there's 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 just so much stuff out there, and uh, I, I was seeing some stats on for for the submissions to Meta Archive. It's just it's bonkers. It's yeah. absolutely bonkers. Um, but uh, yeah, is it things are things are going to be? Of course, if there's more if there's more stuff, things are going to be harder to find. Uh, well, not necess- not necessarily. If the if the if the tools that are created for people to get access to something don't keep pace with the amount of stuff that there is and the amount of places that it can be. Things will be harder to find. Um, you can't spend your whole life just hoping that Google Scholar will uh, hoover up everything and its mum behind the scenes and stick it somewhere where it's properly meta tagged. Um, it's if you if you've ever had the, to answer a complicated question in terms of has anyone ever said this ever which I had to do a couple of weeks ago. Has anyone made this rather specific observation ever? Mm, okay. It took a very, very long time. Even with proper resources at an allegedly proper university with my allegedly functioning brain, it took me – I was immediately struck by what a pain in the hole it was to try to, to try to figure out if – some really specific thing had been said anywhere ever. What did you use to search for that? Um, I used to, a combination of everything. Um, I started off with one of the aggregated library databases, um, and then PubMed, and then Scholar, and then snowballing from things that were close. So I don't know if that's an old school way, or if there's something that's has better access or better semantics that I should have been using. Um, but it it took ages. It took many hours to, to, to eventually get to the point where I said, two people have said this before. <laughs> was, it, was, it, was it 30 years ago in some obscure journal? One was from, one was from 1991 in a journal that doesn't exist anymore. Wow. So I get, I get half points. I get half points. Um, between two things that are very commonly measured together. Yeah. Was this a brute force type thing or was it did you just happen to strike upon the, the right search terms? Um. It was the search terms are very specific. Okay. It was a very specific kind of measurement combined with a very specific outcome for a scale in a neurodevelopmental context. Yeah, and it's just a matter of being explicit. What if the what what if what if the phraseology is changed slightly? What if it's buried in a table? Um, what if it's listed um, in a line or table or group of results? 
Because look, and, and nothing ever looks worse than you going, I'm the first person ever to think of this oh, ever. Big, big wanker move. Big yeah, wanker move. I really am. Did you know I'm special? I'm a special boy. You're not. Um, and you should know that. But it's, it's more that it's really difficult to find out whether you are or are not. Don't you tend to hedge in your language, though? Because even if I had spent hours looking for a particular thing, I still would hedge because I don't want to look like that wanker oh, yeah, yeah, claims yeah, to yeah, be. Yeah, 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 yeah. As far as, as, far as we're aware. You remember the Grim Test, yeah. right? I do know the Grim Test. Okay. So- and, you know, Nick, is, Nick is watching the show, James. Is he? Nick Brown, yes. He, and, and he said he, you're rocking the Russell Brand look. I, smiley face. I didn't know he had a look. I thought Russell Brand was kind of the absence of a look. <laughs> You know, well, where, yeah, where, well, sartorial, you where sartorial organization went to kill itself. But um, yeah. okay. no, I'm, I'm, I'm as rumpled as a man on leave is allowed to be during a plague, Daniel. Thank you very much. Um, well, the Grim Test is a very, very simple mathematical observation that Nick and I published. Um, we thought this really obvious observation must exist somewhere because it's too goddamn Obvious. It has to be somewhere. Where does it have to be? No idea. Because uh, you can, what are you going to do? Search every time someone mentioned an integer? And yeah. eventually, <laughs> eventually, I found in a footnote of an obscure paper on a related topic, this observation written down from 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. eight months after we published the paper. Wow. Yeah, but it took no one- it took that long, and of course, no one noticed it. I would I was looking hard for that myself. Curation and the interconnection between the various little pieces of what we do is hugely underappreciated. And one of the really genuine problems is when you do that with something with proper resources, who's going to own it? And if it's not mm. everybody, that is a core little, very important piece of the flow of information between people and documents. How do those? How are the individual connections made? What is the metadata? How can it be searched? How can it be accessed? If someone owns that, well, like everyone else who owns something, they will beat you around the head and neck with it. The problem is, of course, is a lot of that information in the first place may not be information that you have access to. If you build your own very cool web crawler or your own uh, very cool, uh, in, basically the interconnection manager, the information that you need to feed it may not be information that you can just have. Sure. So everything's dreadful as per usual. And my... This is- my thing is doing some really weird dynamic lighting stuff it's actually extremely well lit in this room and i think it's yeah. i think it's the, the thing behind me here there we go sort of fixed it sort of sort of fixed it sort of i'm doing my best one thing i want to talk about which was also mentioned at our open publishing fest is this um this new platform which i've heard of and i'm surprised we haven't spoken about it before on the show and it's called Octopus. Yes. Octopus. This looks really exciting. We have to actually get the founder of Octopus on the show because it, 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 uh, it sounds really, really cool. And it's really this idea 
that you can actually bring your, you can publish your work in very specific chunks. Mm -hmm. The way that we publish our research at the moment, just like almost everything else in, in our field is due to, is a reflection of what happened about a hundred years ago. Things move very, very slowly, but octopus essentially says, Hey, you don't have to actually write things as a paper. You can publish work in units that are smaller than a paper. And there are eight different types of, of publication. Uh, one is just a problem. And I think this is actually really, really cool. And this really reflects team science. Mm. Some people may have a brilliant idea, but not necessarily the means to implement the idea. So, first thing is a problem. Second thing is a hypothesis or a theoretical rationale. A second is a method or a protocol. The next thing is a data and results, analysis, interpretation, translation, and a review. And, um, gee, this is a really, really interesting idea that you can actually bring or you can publish very specific chunks because I've spoken to so many people going, oh, I've got this, uh, I've got this data set, but I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Or I've got this really good idea, but I don't have the money. But something like Octopus seems like it can really fill the gap in that sense. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, those are all possible, hypothetically. Um, mm -hmm. My immediate thought is several people working on the computational solution to the same problem that have different approaches to it and different outcomes that are aggregated together. So the work itself is iterative between people who didn't plan on it being iterative within house. In that sense, it's kind of a meta, a meta open notebook in the traditional lab open notebook sense. And I find this just like without talking about like what, what what it represents when it comes to identity and publishing. That's my paper. That's your paper. I find it tremendously appealing on the basis that I love small, hard problems. Okay. The idea that someone's posed one particular thing at one particular in one particular format, and it's there and it's available for you to be able to make a contribution because it just happens to be something that you can do. And there's a way to facilitate you getting in there and doing it is hugely appealing. I mean, to me, to me, it's a little bit like you, you're obviously well aware that I will comment on preprints. Well, on everything, but I will comment hopefully usefully on preprints you, from time to time. You do, do that. Do you do public or private? What? Do you, do you comment publicly or privately? A variety. Because everything, okay. everything from yelling on the internet to emailing the authors. Go on. Hey, Dan, you think I'll give up an opportunity to complain about something? I'm not going <laughs> to confine myself in such a ridiculous way. Right. So, if you do that, you make a decision on the basis of this thing has turned up. It fits my interests and expertise. Best of all, I would talk about this thing in particular. Because that makes it really easy. Yes. Mm. Maximum amount of insight, minimum amount of time. Help, 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 help. Done. Have a cup of coffee. Yeah? This is good. The idea of work being available in the same format, problems being available in the same format, of like different analytical approaches being able to be deployed in the same format is super exciting because it allows you to be kind of stochastically useful. Um. I have sort of low-key followed along with what's been happening with Octopus for a while and hoping that, I mean, so many people have good ideas that fit within the remit of 
how do we change attribution? How do we change publishing? How do we change what a journal is? How do we change the basic mechanics of publication-based academic science or academia in general, right? And a lot of those ideas never come fully to fruition because having a great idea and doing a cool build is one thing and then convincing everyone who exists in a system entirely separate of you who may not necessarily be interested uh, you have to solve a problem that people really, really want solved. And then you have to insert it in them with a gigantic horse syringe until they agree that it's a good idea. Um, and this is one of those, this is one of those things where I, I hope, I hope that it meets the kind of general criteria that it overcomes everyone's tremendous inertia towards new stuff and works like that. I, ho I hope it works. I really do. The people seem highly intelligent and motivated and not particularly, um, you know, you, you get that idea, someone that, that someone turns up and they go, hey, we're publishing. This happens to me once a month, maybe more frequently. Okay. Someone turns up and they go, hey, well, I've got a, a small company uh, and we're based in a garage in Winnipeg, and we're going to completely change the entire face of scientific reality by hitting it with this small hammer. What are your thoughts, James? Am I right back to go? You're not going to do any of that. Um, <laughs> you have to be realistic with <laughs> it's it. It's always the way. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to waste your fucking time. I want you to realize what you're, you're dealing with: monolithic things about how huge amounts of money. Huge amounts of people, work processes, careers, livelihoods, etc., are all stuck together according to a series of parameters that are very, very, very heavily prosecuted one way or another by a pre-existing system. Yep. If you're going to break it, you either need to have a really good idea about what people need in addition to what already exists or a phenomenally good idea about replacing a piece of it that's so transcendently useful uh, and still manages to have some kind of congruence with the system that already exists. It's all very well to want to burn everything to the ground and kick it in the etceteras. It is very difficult to convince a 55-year-old man with a mortgage and a cardigan to kick everything in the etceteras. Believe me on that one, I've tried. They are not up for it, right? So a great adjunct idea or a truly brilliant replacement or reformative idea. Well, let's look to what has happened recently in publishing. Mm. The, the, only, the only thing that comes to mind that has been transformative in a new way of doing publishing would be registered reports. This still is within, uh, that fits your criteria, mm -hmm. that it, it is within that general framework of what publishing is right now. I don't think these quantum leaps are going to be as successful because people still have to go, they kind of recognize, oh, what, what does it mean? Is it an article? Mm. But registered reports is kind of going, well, you, here you know an, an article is this. Yeah, yeah. And oh, you know what a journal article he, is. It's going within the framework that you understand. You're rewarded exactly. for it in the same way. We just think it's a much better way of quantifying the work processes that you've done over time. Completely agree. But, but I think this is going to work because essentially registered reports is taking two of those bits. It's taking the, um, well, it's taking a few, a few of those bits into two separate pieces. It's taking the, the problem, 
um, um, the the and, and, and the protocol, and then the second bit essentially is the data collection and the reporting. But what Octopus is seems to be doing, which which I agree with, is it's taking that and putting it into even small bits. So if we're at the stage where a lot of people are generally becoming more accepting accepting of registered reports, wow. then I think that um, something like Octopus could actually get some traction if because there's, there's there's some precedent there. Is two episodes of Everything Hurts not enough for you? Well, you should become one of our patrons. In return for supporting the show for $5 a month, you'll get a bonus episode every month. If you can't swing the $5 a month, we also have a $1 tier, which gives you access to a couple of bonus episodes a year, plus a monthly Hertz newsletter. Don't forget, we also have a merch store where you can pick up stickers, shirts, hoodies, and our most popular item, the Hertz mug. Check out the show notes for details. Um, now, James, the data is in. We we put the call out on um, on on Prolific. Um, oh, that's so and cool. It's so cool. We're paying our <laughs> participants. They, they got they got paid an, an ethical an ethical wage for their time. That this was a th- I always I always like the fact I saw on Amazon Turk once. A study that was on research ethics. <laughs> they paid you a dollar fifty for a half hour. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know. I don't know where it is now. Maybe there's a database you could look it up. You could all go have a laugh yourselves. Oh, Oof. come on! I mean, it's a, some sometimes things are just too meta for words. Um, what do what do the prolific people pay you? I probably should know that, shouldn't I? Yeah, so they they worth? pay uh, they pay an ethical wage of at least six dollars fifty an hour. Okay, that feels like the floor somehow. I imagine that. Yeah, the- but you can pay much more, but that that is that is the absolute minimum. But they recommend when you're setting up your study, they recommend uh, to, to 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 pay a bit more because we you, you should be paying your participants an ethical wage. Uh, yes, I mean for work. It is one of those general principles of offering people to do stuff for money. But, um, mm. you know, there's also the whole, what is it, pay peanuts, get elephants. I'm bad with sayings. Um, that's why I've always invented my own. I can never remember the ones that other people have come <laughs> up with. Um, yeah, well, what does it say? Okay, so we have, um, we're going to go through and to in, or- in order to check out data quality, we put in a... Uh, a manipula- a screening check, and that worked. Everyone was paying attention, which is good. All right, so we've got <sighs> about. Uh, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't catch anyone asleep. Um, so just over a hundred responses um, from for our survey, and um, that you when it comes put up half an hour ago when the episode started. I put it half an hour ago. Oh, um, this and this awesome. was a rep- this is a representative sample of the. Um, uh, no, sorry. This for this particular survey. I put up parameters because I was interested in people. Huh. I was interested in just just average people, the average public. Yes. So I put parameters in, going that you cannot have an undergraduate anything below an undergraduate undergraduate education, high school diploma, um, community college. Um, I set the floor there. So anything um, um, community college above, I excluded. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so that, that that was easy. That was done. Okay, so um, age, um, at least ninety percent were between eighteen to thirty. 
and uh, about 9% were over 31. So, you know, younger people, that's fine. But I know you can actually particularly, you can choose older people if you want. Yeah. We didn't set that just, parameter in. You just won't get 100 responses in 30 minutes. Yeah, Turns <laughs> out young quick. people are better at the internet, Dan. Who saw that coming? They love they, they love the internet. Okay. All right. So, f- f- the first question I asked is, okay, so this particular study is confidential, but if you were to participate in another study in which non-identifiable data was released with the scientific paper, remember, this is the public. Mm. Yeah, we're asking the public. Mm. Would you consent to this in general? James, what sort of percentage do you think? It was a simple yes or no. Would you consent to your data um, be- being presented with the paper? Me, Open data. personally. No, 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 no. What do you, what do you think the, um, the, the general public? 80% yes. In a- Very close. Eighty-seven percent, yes. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad, James. Not yeah, bad. Look. So the so the majority of people, so the majority of the public, um, so majority, we, we kind of six have out of seven. It's it's yeah, it's huge. We kind of assume as scientists that the default is no, that people do not want to share their data. I have never assumed this- that. Why do people assume that? I don't know because we because we we're told in ethics classes, um, undergraduate that people's data is private, and that's fine and that's true. But then we assume, but then we don't actually go. What happens when you ask the question? And there's been a lot of there's been a number of studies where people have looked at people with clinical conditions, mm. going, "Hey, you got a cl- clinical condition? Would you share the data?" And in that circumstance, it's about ninety percent as well. But here we've asked the public using prolific, and almost ninety percent have said out of a hundred people have said, "Yeah, share share the data. That's fine." Well, I mean, I mean, what what's the nature of de-identified there? Yeah, I mean, th- this is like not not t- not telling your 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 age or or a- any any information that's very identifiable, postcode, yeah. age, that. But that is that is still, I mean, that's that cuts it down, right? That's yeah. still a tremendous amount of experiments, observations fit within that rubric yes yeah yeah exactly i have often wondered i mean there is a tendency towards maximalism in ethics in general yep well Uh, yeah yeah just because if you, you you think of the like the most reasonable protections for the most vulnerable person Mm -hmm. what it feels like IRBs and the more pearl-clutching variety of researcher don't seem to have the imagination to realize that a lot of people really don't care about what you're asking them. And it could be something, even something that feels, unless it comes right down to, like, what are all the dirty dreams that you had last night and sign it at the bottom like Picasso. There's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of um, information that people are perfectly happy to give away, yeah. identifiable or otherwise. And and the, the the data in our in our very quick data collection supports that. Um, so we just need to we just you just need to ask your participants. You just need to ask, put that in the consent form, yeah. and ask your participants. And of course, especially now with uh, GDPR regulations, where you have to have a right to be forgotten, um, you have to also put mechanisms in in order to remove the data. Yeah. Um, that that's it's it's complex. It's doable. Um, for instance, I'm, I'm working with the UK Biobank and within there every month or so, we'll get an email going, um, you know, this is like 500,000 people and we'll say, these 10 people wish to get removed from the data set. Mm. And you're like, okay, cool. You just do that. Yeah. 
And so the, the, these problems you can fix. Okay, our next, the next question I asked is, um, many scientific articles require a subscription so they can, they can be read. Most scientists have these subscriptions covered by the universities, but in general, the public can't access these articles for free. Mm. How important do you think free public access to scientific articles is from not important at all, all the way to very important? How do, how do you think the skew for this was, James? What do you, where, where do you think from a scale of one to five, with five being very important? Uh, mode somewhere between two and three. Uh, no, very, very high. So basically, really? um, yeah. I so, suppose that was answered as a principal question then, because I mean, with people, there's there's not a lot. Even even if you were relatively relatively white collar kind of cat, um, at, at the end of the day, you don't spend a lot of time casually reading the Journal of Abnormal Psychology. Um, so I would assume that these are not people who are reading academic articles. <laughs> I know some academics who are not reading academic articles. Um, it's more how they see the question generally, what they think should yeah. be the principled response to that. Yeah. That wouldn't have been my first instinct on how they would have taken it, but that's actually kind of pleasing. What was the what was the mean? So I, I don't have the actual mean, but just eyeballing it, at least almost fifty percent said five. Very important. Huh. Yeah, okay. and then the rest. Um, only one person said not important at all, um, and um, and the rest was so it was highly skewed. And and forty percent said uh, four on a scale of not important at all to very important. Well, so, so you've got about nine. You've got about ninety percent above indifferent. Yeah, exactly. So there seems to be at least in a principle average notes. average Joe average Jane. Um, from from our sample, um, seem to think that yeah, it is actually important um, that um, that the public can read the the, the science that they're funding. Um, okay, Did next question. Did you put something uh, one before you continue with your yeah. little yappy face? Did, was there an element in that question that said you paid for this publicly no, funded I, resources? No, I didn't include that. I think that would have made it even more. I didn't. I didn't include that because I thought that was too leading. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. This is, I have noticed people uh, previously, I have had conversations in my own life with, uh, and the annoying kind of person who'll talk to people in the pub. I have no, I've talked to people about this before and go, well, technically you paid for it. I mean, all of that was done with money that is literally straight out of the tax base. It goes, in, it, it, it goes in, there's a percentage of it that's set aside, there's a percentage of it that's sent back. It's mm. yours. In that sense, it's a public resource. And how we manage it, what do you think of that? Like, well, it's mine. I want it. Will you read it? No. <laughs> it's it's yeah. still bloody mine. Yeah, fair enough. That's very fair enough. All right. So, the, the next question. Um, many scientific articles base their conclusions on the analysis of collected data. How important do you think public access to the underlying anonymous data for scientific articles is? Oh, I have, no, I have no prediction. I have no idea. One to five, not important, very important at all. No idea. Um, uh, the forty percent said um, four, and thirty percent said five. So it wasn't as extreme as the other, as the other question. It's a little bit more um, abstract for people who presumably don't have to deal with scientific data at work. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was more of an abstract question, but just this idea that hey, it, it, it sort of fits with the original question I asked earlier about do you care if your data is there? Mm. So the question is, should it matter that everyone can access the data? Um, but yeah, a, li a little bit more abstract. 
Um, but um, yeah, uh, but I think yeah, it comes back to that that idea that people should be, be thinking about this. And if you actually ask the question within your consent forms when you're planning your studies, mm. um, pe- people people are going to say yes. It's much better than than doing the retrospective contact. Hey, you did a study with us four oh, years ago. No, can, no, can, no, 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 yeah, no. Imagine horrible. the problems you make. Is I also on a Huge. personal level, I I deeply resent the idea that you can not deal with this up front and then later can hide from criticism behind the excuse of I am not officially required, uh, not required, I'm not officially allowed to mm. give that data away. So for I stuff can, that was published a few- I cannot- For uh, stuff published- mm. Yeah. For stuff published a few years ago, I can sort of get that when we're in this transition phase. But now, mm. if you're planning a study nowadays, you know- you know, so yeah, yeah. But no look, it's that. still it's not. That's the thing. It's again when when we're talking about an open scientific reform. Again, we're talking about something that is supposed to become a social custom. Yeah, not something mm-hmm. that's mandated. Um, even journals allegedly have mandates, but the the enforcement of them is extremely inconsistent. You write to the author and they tr- try it. Try it sometime if you don't believe me. I tell people that access to data is terrible. Uh, data is available on request to qualified applicants or whatever. You put your hand up and you go, I'm a qualified applicant. I got a whole bunch of research into getting people's data and bopping it with a stick when they do something really terrible. I consider myself highly goddamn qualified. Certainly, I'm, I'm, I'm very qualified in the task of asking people for their data. And then you do it and they won't send it to you and the journal won't do anything about it. Have you seen some universities are setting up a separate system in which the data goes to a separate unit? Yeah. Mm. And then any request, when you say data is available on, upon request, contact the data person. It is the data person who decides whether the data goes out. And I think this is really good because that whole, that little, that little footnote, that little asterisk, oh, this only goes to, um, to, to qualified researchers can be very biased. You can get someone pops up in your inbox. You go, God, that person, the data thug has emailed me. How that dare data- you? I prefer data lovely. <laughs> The, the, the data lovely, mm-hmm. the, 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 the data thugs I got in contact, um, they're going to analyze my data in bad faith. They are not a qualified researcher. <laughs> but once you once you bad put things aside- When they analyze something in bad faith, I'm going to deploy angry regression. <laughs> you, this is a mean T-test. I'm this sure, is I'm the sure chi-squared of doom. Ch- Ch- Chelsea Pilot Pellerini could, could help us with a mean regression. Um, when by having this 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 unit that's separate, then there's that bias completely disappears, and the unit decides. Okay, this researcher who who has an affiliation or, or what have you has asked for this data, and it's, this seems to be in good faith. Mm. Here's the data. I really like that idea. Of course, this is only would, this would only be the domain of rich universities that can afford to pay one or two people. I was going to say. This. Now you're employing a full time data officer. But if you are a well-to-do or sort of a well-to-do university, this is not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea at all. Um, I don't like the idea of putting another layer of university bureaucracy in the way of asking for stuff. Will the data person be quick? Will they be efficient? Will they, they come up with a whole bunch of be quicker than an reasons? Quicker than some authors, yes. But look- I mean, the last thing you want at the end of the day is to employ someone whose job it is to obfuscate full-time. Now, if it descends into that, yeah, if it descends into that, it, all you've done is 
professionally outsource the ability to not get me what I want. Mm. So, look, don't go around trusting institutions. You shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. They don't have. They're. 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 they're in general, they're interested in themselves. Yes. Now, I don't want to come across like a wild-eyed radical here. I'm really a wild, wild-eyed normal person. It is an indisputable fact that institutions are primarily concerned with their own maintenance and survival. Sure. If this becomes, uh, if this becomes something that's annoying or something, presumably the authors don't communicate at all with the data person. The data person is completely independent. Is that the case? My understanding is when you submit the paper, part of that. Submitting is data person. Here's, here's, here's the data. Answer the question, Daniel. If I made What's a request the to the data person, mm-hmm. is the data person talking to the authors? No, from, from what I understand, they don't. It's it's arm's length. Okay. So if there's a problem with that, it is entirely within how the university understands the request and sets up the parameters of that job. I remain to be convinced. Oh, me of little faith. <laughs> have you got any more questions? I, I'm surprised. I thought you would have been more for that, but I am no, well, more look, convinced. Sorry, if the, alternative is putting, if the alternative is putting the goddamn data in one of the very well-organized, well-understood, hyperlinkable repositories of things that already exist, yes? And we're saying, yeah. well, the, no, the alternative, hang on. It's like, all, all data is violently personal, medical information, et cetera, et cetera, subject to oversight, et cetera, et cetera. It needs to be locked up in a great big thing. The vast majority of it is not. That, that's, that's my bias because I work with that kind of data yes, in I my know head. I'm you like, work of course. with that kind of data and that's why you're wrong. <laughs> no, I get that. Obviously, the, the the ideal thing is put your data there in the first place. It's so satisfying when someone goes, oh, do you have your script or your data there? And you go, boom, OSF link. Yeah. I, I find my own data and my own scripts on my own OSF page. It is so much quicker than going through my own computer. Yeah. Now, I want to get on to the last two uh, questions. Yes. Um, More questions. Uh, this was uh, one was on science communication. Where do you see news about new scientific research? I was very curious about this. And um, uh, one of the options were newspapers, printed or online, television, uh, social media, radio or podcasts, or other. What do you think won? Um, newspapers. No. Social media. Yes. So the majority, was it average Joe. Average Joe, average Jane, um, a um, saw. Now, keep in mind that um, this was uh, people could select any that any that would apply. Mm. Um, so, at least eighty um, percent of respondents mentioned they see um, news about scientific research on social media, mm. and that's interesting. And I see that as an opportunity. People are going, oh, you know, oh, alt metrics. Let's get our work into newspapers. Let's, let's put out the press release mm. and get it into the newspapers. Yet, only in our sample of average people. Um, only just under 60% actually saw stuff printed or online when it comes to scientific research. Dan, People aren't- Yes? Don't be sick. What do you think's what? on the social media platform? Do you think the actual science communicative article is the thing that's written into the social media platform? Do you think they're reading tweet threads? Or do you think what that question's asked people is you've just sourced the link to something that's invariably written in the newspaper? Do you think it's an exegesis on a study written in a great big Facebook post? 5G causes the Kerry Katona virus. <laughs> it's not that. The, but you're, oh no, you're, the, talk, you're talking about where it's sourced, not where it ends up being. 
I'm talking about people who visit the the newspaper website rather than actually seeing the newspaper posting a thing on Facebook. Well, yeah, or I mean, I think that's been understood in the sense that, like, like do you read the newspaper and then open the science section? Which is how st- I did it a million years ago. I used to quite mm-hmm. enjoy that part. When the Sydney Morning Herald used to have a, a, a little, did they have a science section? No, no, no. They had, they had a. There was, there was a medical stuff sometimes. There was a health stuff sometimes. Um, and there was a part I can't even remember. It's been such a long time since I held a dead tree with today's I news. I know. I used to enjoy reading the Sydney Morning Herald on a, on, a, on a Saturday. Anyway, we yeah. So obviously, people are seeing their news on um, television. Still had a lot. So people, at least 40 percent. Of the respondents mentioned they saw news about scientific research on, on TV, mm-hmm. and thirty um, percent on radio or podcasts. Oh, that's yeah, that's interesting. Um, that was higher than I thought. Radio, look, look, you wanted something that uh, everyone's uh, legacy media, especially in Australia. This is an Australian-specific example, but I'm certain that it holds elsewhere. The individual little curated radio science shows. For people who are probably 55 and over, are super popular. And they have people who've listened every week to Norman Swan or someone similar like that. Pick your own Dutch, American, Puerto Rican, whatever example. Some Norman Swan equivalent that have listened every week for 15 years. People who are fans of individual radio shows, which is what we used to call podcasts, kids, um, <laughs> when they're of a certain kind of demographic, are very, very loyal. I yep. used to get like friends of my parents, my relatives, people that I heard the thing on the radio every now and then. I was on it, and that be- <laughs> none of this. He's got the Nobel Prize yet, but it's like he's on the ABC. He's, he's on a the ABC. real he's boy on the now. Wireless. <laughs> Don't knock it, man. That's there's still no. there's a there's a lot of power there. There's a lot of reach, um, and some of the individual segments, the individual presenters, um, you might not see them on social media with a million billion special friends, but trust me, they have clout and they are getting things out and have been for a very long time. Yeah. Radio, mm. very, 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 very underrated. Yep. So I should have actually split that between. I said radio or podcasts, and then I put, I put twenty. Uh, I put other, and twenty percent had found through other sources. So may- maybe that was. Was the other open ended? No, I didn't oh, do that. That's a shame. I want to see if anyone yeah. gets it like written on the back of a mailbox in <laughs> Sharpie or something. That'd be dope. Oh, and, well. and the final question, the, the, the final question I asked, um, mm. uh, which was harking back to some stuff we, we've uh, spoken about in previous episodes, how many surveys have you completed on Prolific that included questions on the impact of coronavirus on your psychological health? <laughs> I wanted to see, I wanted to see um, that uh, obviously there's questions. been an ex- there's been an explosion, an explosion of psych research. Some looks good. Others not 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 so good. Um, so I'm interested to see how much this has actually um, influenced well, the that average. Was, um, that was a very uh, nice way of saying it, Dan. I would say the strong majority looked fucking pointless. <laughs> well, uh, okay. So um, I put it in none. Uh, one to ten, ten to fifty, and over fifty. Um, wh- what do you think, James? I think there'd be almost no one who put none. Um, I think you're probably up to about a quarter of the sample, maybe more, who say more than 10. 
in some capacity, and a lot of people have seen sort of half a dozen or so. Yeah, you, you, you're sort of right. So, sort of right. Um, okay. uh, seven, seven, seven percent, none. Yeah, sure. Um, Eighty, seventy-five percent, one to ten studies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and fifteen uh, percent, ten to fifty, and maybe one percent more than more than fifty-one. Hmm. Okay. So there's a lot of um, up yours. I was quite close. You, 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 you're quite close. So there, yeah, there's, there's obviously a lot of work happening, and I, I have seen there's been a few meta-meta studies on, on on this very question. People have formally asked this question on on a few uh, on, on a few of these platforms, and as, as to how many um, of these things, uh, how many of these questionnaires have been done. I will look. I will look in three months, six months, a year, something at all of this work now that is attempting to prove that sitting in your house and gradually going broke and having your life destroyed for three months is in fact bad for your mental health and see what the broader impact of that is in a while. I try not to be dismissive of things in the social sciences that I don't like because I have a long history of underestimating some of it. But the idea that everyone's trying to get out in front of this and that there's some intervention that's going to be deployed off the back of it or that it's going to mean anything at all, or that, uh, that much of it will amount to much more than bad things are, in fact, still bad. I really do wonder how much of it has any kind of longevity, how much of it has any kind of clinical relevance or public health interest. And how much of it just exists because people know that money is coming in the wake of a planetary emergency. Honestly, look, I don't don't want to be bleak about it, but I'm bleak. So that's how I come across. No, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is like we've, we've often decried in normal times the ambulance chasing tendencies of people who are trying to get out in front of something that becomes cool. And both of us have been through a good sort of 10, 15 years of making fun of everyone jumping on what was the next thing. To Now to the extent where like two smelly old men in the pub, you can go, hey, remember mirror neurons? <laughs> and you smiled and you laughed. Why? Because for a couple of years, there was nothing else in the whole world. We existed in the hall of mirrors neurons. It was the thing. And then, you know, there's been other there's been other versions of that. Uh, early fMRI was a lot like that in social neuroscience, and a lot of that was terrible. Um, there's a ton of astrocyte research um, about five years mm. ago. Um, add your own, Dan. It's all there. Add your own. Um, so, uh, so I, if I, you see it, if you see it as one one new flare up. In terms of, 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 of people's general capacity to get in, out in front of a topic that they can't necessarily make a genuine intellectual contribution to and or produce research that has genuine benefits for other people. It all makes you a little bit tired. It certainly makes mm. me tired. And I'm tired to start with. 
we're going to wrap up for this episode. Um, thanks to Prolific for supporting the show and also for uh, for supporting our, the, the the survey that we did on the fly. We were able to get uh, high quality data, uh, and no one failed the manipulation, uh, the, the the attention check. No high one failed data. the attention check. I'm almost disappointed. No. I know, not 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 a single person. Everyone was paying very close attention, um, and but we got started quickly. So, thanks thanks to Prolific. Uh, go to prolific.co forward slash everything hurts, and if you top up one dollar, you get fifty bucks worth of credit. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back again soon for a new episode of Everything Hurts. And check out all the other talks that have been happening at the Open Publishing Festival. See you later.